podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the weekend of it's John Givens hosting this week, and I'm joined by Leanne Prescott, by Andy Heaton, by Gareth Roberts, by Kev Walsh, and by Jay McKenna. It's a full room. Um, it's a full room, a fantastic room, and I hope you enjoy your weekend uh, coming up. But before all that, we've got uh, a really good show for you, and we're going to start talking about kind of fan issues and we're going to talk about talking about the stadium because there's been a few things over the last week or so Jay I'll start with you in that you know people talking about the the changes or otherwise in the members sale and the, you know the, the idea about ticket allocation and how fairly it's done and we do always talk about these things when we come up sometimes people say we don't but we do always kind of raise them and we always have a chat about them but the place we always end up is well the stadium just needs to be bigger and that's the place we always end up so instead of ending there, I'm going to start there. Yeah. The, the stadium needs to be bigger. Absolutely. Um, and I think... See, I, I, I've been thinking about this more because I, I think you're right. All these conversations come from a point where we end up saying, because the, the capacity is constrained, you've got to pick one or the other. Season ticket holder or member. Kid or fella who's been going for 40, 50 years. And that's that's not fair. It's not nice. Why, why, are, we, why are we being tasked with making that choice? There's loads of people inside the club who get loads of money and... We're like, oh yeah, as volunteers, we'll pick who gets to go, and that's not that's not fair. And but I also more so in given, I think Madrid's crystallised this even more because I think people got Kiev and thought, yeah, we're doing well here, we're back, like we're back towards the big time. And you get to back to back Champions League finals, and then you win one. It's like now nah, we are in the big time, and this could be the beginning of something. And I think the stadium really should be now opportunity for the pool. We missed the boat in Istanbul and there was an explosion of fans wanting to come. Demand, as we all know, matchgoers know how hard, much harder it became to get a ticket. You know, you could, I think 33,000 went to Monaco at home in the run-up to Istanbul. Every single European game since, I think, has sold out. You you cannot get a ticket from Love and Money, by and large. So I, I think you'll see lots of... Lots more supporters, people who watched it at home, young kids, young youngsters who've watched it, maybe their dad or their uncle go to the match and have gone to Madrid and they've heard that story and have been in Liverpool, you know, watching that parade, thought, yeah, I want to go. You know, properly, kids, Kev's probably got kids, you know, love going to the match. You might have a, a, a you know, my, my nephew was a, up until about three weeks before the final, was, a, was apparently a Chelsea fan at the age of four, and now he won't stop wearing Liverpool kits and get him out a little glory on <laughs> You're not, you're not welcome. <laughs> big gag, ain't he? Um, oh, there's a boss story behind that, but he's a, yeah, he's a big gag. But it's like he's going to want to go to the match, and he's not going to be able to, is he? He's not. There's there's no space. There's no where he goes, and and I think there's a chance now for Liverpool to do what Man United done in the nineties and build a bigger stadium incrementally. You know they're not going to be able to do it all in one go, but incrementally, as the club we would expect and hope continues to be successful. I mean. Jay makes a point there, Kev, about taking advantage of moments, and it feels like Liverpool haven't done that in the past, and there's a real opportunity to do so here. You know, the stock of the club couldn't be any higher. The playing squads couldn't be much better, although we're hoping it improves even more this summer. You know, we're, we're one of the biggest clubs back on our pitch in world football again, with the club everyone's talking about, with the club that Mbappe wants to play on FIFA and all <laughs> 20, that. 20. Uh, and we need more people in the ground, and I don't really understand, given that there was planning permission agreed for the Anfield Road that they were meant to be having a you know having a little bit of a think after the main stand to see how successful that was and it's gone brilliantly what the hold of us. Yeah, I think the club now is run very well. I've been very critical of FSG in the past, but I'll hold my hands up and say I was wrong about them. It's run very well, but this is it looks like a bit of a 
an opportunity for them, but also a bit of a seesaw moment. Because if they just decide that, well, we don't really need to build the extra bit of the ground, that says to me then that they're not probably thinking long-term about the plan. Now, that's fine if they're not thinking long-term about being owners of Liverpool Football Club. That's their decision. It's, it's a business to them. But building a new Anfield Road, specifically if we, if we concentrate on the Anfield Road ends, right? There's nothing behind the Anfield Road now. The club own, own, bought it all, knocked it all down. There's a nice little fan zone and a car park there going back into, into Stanley Park. So there's nothing there now stopping that being expanded. There's a road that runs behind it, which if it was closed, would it be the end of the world? I don't think it actually would. There's not that much to have. I live around here as well, so it's, it's not that busy that it needs to be even a tunnel underneath it. So the only thing holding them back can be the return on investments. But you think of the return on investment now on, I think we, me and me and Rob got much on yesterday and we said it cost 150 million or something, somewhere there or thereabouts to the main stand. Yeah. So if it cost 100 million to do the Anfield Road and then if you just do the most basic maths and divide the number of seats by price of ticket and the, the length in years that it's going to take, it, it can't be that long before it pays itself back. But you've got the opportunity cost that you're missing out on of, as Jake says, all these young kids. We've got another generation in this city now who've seen Liverpool win a European Cup and want to be part of that. And similar to the Istanbul generation, there'll be some of them kids who won't be able to get in there because they won't have. Even if they've got a dad who goes to the match, they might struggle to get the kid the ticket. Now, we're all very fortunate that, as Jay says, I've got two lads, so I can't take them because of I've been going for 30 years and I've got contacts there, so it's a little bit easier that way. But if you're just a young kid, maybe you don't even know your dad, but you want to start going to a match, you've got no opportunities to do it. Some of them are going to get dragged to good like it's naturally going to go to them. I want to go to football. I'll go. To, I'll go and watch Everton if I have to, because some kids will want to do that. You miss out on the opportunity cost. Then a, a next generation of and we could, as you said, Jay, we're massive now. This we are back on our pitch. We are, we're in a prime position now, whereby you could say, the Anfield Road ends. Let's get a design there, and let's say to the city council, listen, this is going to be bigger than what you're giving us permission for. But we're not worried about that. We're going to have it absolutely massive. Get it on there. Get it. And start getting it built, get a plan in place, and have it done. And let's have it done before Bramley Wall even <laughs> gets off the ground. Which would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Kev there talks about the fact that it's not just a case of how much does it cost versus how much can you get on tickets, and and that's right, isn't it? It's thinking about the opportunities you're giving to young people in this city and beyond to get into the ground, or not just young people, kind of just more people in, and also getting those people hooked, getting those people kind of engaged with Liverpool, but also the idea to me of. Since we've been that built that main stand, I don't think we've got beat at home. Do you know what I mean? And so if we put like sixty thousand on, we might never get beat again. Yeah, yeah. I think now is kind of the prime opportunity because Klopp has obviously brought such an energy back into Liverpool. There's been a transformation on the pitch. Now we want to see it off the pitch. We want to see a growth of the club at a time where Liverpool have gone and won the sixth European Cup. Everyone, as you said, you know, wants to be part of this journey. And so it would seem like this is the perfect opportunity for them to go and do that. And I just think that if they stall now, that kind of sends out the wrong message, regardless of, of if there is a long-term vision there. It sends out a message of this is where Liverpool are in a golden moment. There's a lot of people and a lot of talk saying, you know, the success is going to follow from that for the next era. And if you don't move now, when are you going to do it? Uh, you look at Tottenham, Tottenham didn't even have the success and they went and, you know, got the stadium. They're in a position now where if they do get the success on the pitch, they've got the stadium waiting there for them. So we need to now go and do the same. 
yeah, it's it's not just a football stadium either. Now, is it Gareth? It's a stadium where the whole concerts and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't go to any of them, but it looked incredible, <laughs> didn't it? You know, especially you know the divisions of you know the pink performance and all that. And you think, well, I mean, it's that they've gone really well. And I made up the concert gone well. I made up for, for the club. I made up for the people of Anfield. I was speaking to Ian Byrne, who's the councillor in the area, and he's you know how it went when I saw him last week, and he said that you know Anfield, the, the area's buzzing in the yeah. summer because there's stuff going on and it's great, but. Well, if you make the stadium even bigger, then you can get even bigger acts, you know what I mean? And, you know, you can go and get, you know, instead of, say, you know, Pink, it's then U2, it's Bruce Springsteen, it's it's the biggest kind of acts it in the world. It's like a list of people you want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to Liverpool. <laughs> no, 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 Neftis of age, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a team man. Yeah, I mean, it's about the city, isn't it? I mean, look, you know, we, we, we talked before about that, you know, Liverpool as being leveraged as a, as a global brand, and maybe not everyone likes that, but, you know, it is what it is, and that's where football's gone. But at the end of the day, like I want Liverpool Football Club to play a part in the growth of the city as well. And it's interesting that, you know, I've spoke to someone just fairly recently, last couple of weeks or so, just had a, a brew with someone who's went to uni here but then moved away, but is thinking of coming back and was just having a chat with me about what I thought about the city and where it had gone. And they were saying how it looks fantastic and stuff like that. And I was like, well, yeah, it does. It does. So, but like, you know, you don't have to go very far to find poverty still. You don't, you know, go to Kensington, go to mm. Anfield, go to Pass the Toxteth or whatever. And I still think, you know, that that wealth that we see in certain parts of the city needs to be rolled out further. And some of the plans around Anfield, around what home baked are doing and stuff like that are fantastic about getting local people in employment, but also bringing the actual area back to life. And Liverpool played a part in, in taking that area down. You know, once yeah. upon a time, you could get like a terraced house for about eight grand or something. And part of that was down to the uncertainty around what Liverpool Football Club were doing and I'm not. I'm sure, like the uncertainty now doesn't help for the same reason. And Liverpool should should you know be, be like everyone everyone said around the table, be taking advantage of where they are. They know that they're a big brand. They know that they're supported so well all around the city. We've seen all the people come into the city for the parade as well. I spoke to lots of people, and I'm quite open about it, and I'm happy about it to say loads of them weren't from the city. Yeah, yeah. You know, they came especially to watch that parade. They enjoyed themselves. They enjoyed the city. And they took away a positive experience. And the more of that that can go on, then great. Because, you know, just being around the city the last few weeks, I mean, some of those uh, acts that you mentioned aren't to my taste. But I still enjoy the fact that there's a shitload of people knocking around town in Bon Jovi shirts, you know, shopping in the shops, going to the coffee shops, spending money here and helping to boost the economy here and giving people jobs. And that's that's got to continue. And Liverpool can help to continue that. And the sort of, it feels a little bit like they're sitting on their hands. I mean... It, this isn't something I've extensively researched, but when I thought about that before, I thought, well, why do I have to? Because it's Liverpool's job to communicate what they're doing as well. And I think what's happened is we know that there's a sort of an outline plan and permission, and then it's gone a bit quiet. And we've heard little bits from Peter Moore here and there about, yeah, it's going to happen and all that. Well, sell, tell us something concrete, when and why. And like, you know, even like, you know, th- th- there's a huge bit of space there right next to the ground that's supposed to be a hotel. Again, I don't know what the story is behind yeah. that, but why isn't there a hotel already? <laughs> because, you know, that could be full of people on beds, that could be jobs for people, that could be helping the community I've just described grow and grow and grow because, you know, it's been tough for Anfield down the years and Liverpool hasn't been the best of neighbours at times. I think maybe with the, with the Andy Road, I, I'll, I'll refer to Jay on this because you'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Is whether no they, pressure, Jay. No. There's two trains moving. Yeah. <laughs> One's going at 76 miles an hour, we've gone 66. Which one gets their seconds? 
Sorry, Andy, go on. It's all right. Um, so what we know is that the original application was for an extra 4,000 seats and that runs out in September 2019. Now, part of me wonders whether the change in the club and how successful it's been and kind of admitted to the, 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 the aggression on the pitch, suddenly spending so much money on players, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not trying to link the two, but maybe it surprised the owners a little bit and maybe, you know, I'd like to think that the reason why, because I know there was talk in June about the, they were reconsidering the designs in, a, in, in, in so much of the nature of pushing the capacity upwards from the original plans because there was a there was talk of, oh, there's not enough corporate to... Um, to pay for it or that the corporate offering wouldn't be sufficient to justify the cost. And I think maybe that they've been caught cold by the demand for the tickets and maybe they're being extra careful to make sure they get it right. Because you talk about these these concerts that have gone fantastically well, but you forget the initial application for that got knocked back over a couple of technicalities. And, you know, it'd be, we've, we've been in situations before where we've been promised new stadiums, been shown designs, and then they haven't happened. So I can kind of understand if this is the case, why the club, until it's absolutely set in stone what they want to do, are, are, are keeping quiet on it because they don't want to disappoint. Yeah, that, I'm sorry, go on. That, that is FSG's MO by and large. They, they've learned the mistakes, you know, about about, about saying things, they're going to do things, back in the managing and transfers, and they've seen it from the Nixon Gillette period. They're not going to do that same thing. They're not going to over-promise and under-deliver. But, and, and, and part of their, their, their model on this is they, they don't want to do too many capital projects at one time. That's what they've said. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's what they've said. They've got Kirby at the minute, and that's it. So they've done the main stand, now it's Kirby, then it's going to be that. I don't think you cannot just wait. I think there's a that plan works at a moment in time when you're Liverpool and you're trying to become the elite-level club. Being the club we are now brings with it, and we've talked about this about players on here, it brings elite-level club problems. And that's a thing you have to now factor into to your decision making. And I think Liverpool need to look at this because very cynically, right? They've been getting a bit of a hiding the past few days about member sales and tickets and availability and stuff like that. Be the easiest PR. But this is an opportunity now. Go, yeah, exactly. This is opportunity to do a number of things to show your case, to show you've got a long term plan. I think, I think part of the question will be how many can they get to without causing transport problems? How many can they get to mm. without needing to involve corporate? But it has to be. It's. It's like signing players. This is about statement of intent. This is about saying we are going to be, you know, it's the Shankly thing. But, I the, think. The, but Jay, the clock's already ticking on this. Is what I'm saying is so the original application's only got, what, two or three months? Yeah, li- that, li- that doesn't li- matter. I don't think you can get that, that. No, that can be a sort of care about property. Yeah, love. He's won awards. Awards he sponsored. This is what I was going to ask. Is it, is it easier from a planning point of view to, to seek an extension to an existing permission or put a new application I don't, in? I, I don't think... Either of them things for a club the size of Liverpool is a piece of piss, basically. Okay. So, what Liverpool needs to do is, Jason made a very valid point about transport issues. So, we extend the main stand, and then what did we do for transport issues? We roped off half a back road, and you can't get out, exactly. You can't get out the car for, for, for buses there. What needs to happen is there needs to be a train station yeah. that people can access. Rick so Barry was talking about train stations, yeah, wasn't exactly, he? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. But the club now should go to the, the club now should then go to. FSG, sorry, the FSG should go to the council. And even if they have to do it in a bit of a lobbying way and say, listen, it's now time for the north end of the city to be on the rail network, which is ridiculous. But also, anyway. but also in the same way, the, the club's on that GBA report, didn't they? The, yeah. the, what it adds to the to the local community. You know, that's an important model for, you know, we are a, we, we bring people to the city as tourists, as visitors, week yeah. in, week out, and we should and Liverpool should be pushing people to do that. Liverpool should be doing some of it themselves. 
I, I, I think there's a point within all of this. If I know they don't want to overpromise and, and underdeliver, but they need to try and have a bit of a conversation with people to say, well, what do you want? Because I, my other fear with a stadium, though, just to say, I do want them to get on with it. But imagine they came, genuinely imagine they came out and were like, yeah, we're going to have 4,000 seats. Everyone would be like, we're only going to 58. Are you messing? I think, I think symbolically... And rightly so, though, but rightly so. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But I think you've got, I think they, they should be coming back and saying, well, right, okay, how can we do this? If we want to get to 65, it might mean a bit of corporate. It might mean a 1,000 corporate seats. So really, it's only going to be 64 for the GA fan. But, that, but, but that's the payoff. But but exactly. But have that conversation. Have that conversation. Because we've just sat in a room on Monday night with Liverpool. You know, I think the report's coming out. Probably, you might, you might be listening to this. Do you still get invited, lad, yeah? Still, yeah, just about. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm happy. I mean, you definitely can't get out. Um, but I, I was starting to find myself sat there going, why, what am I doing, sat here? Why, why, why do I care? Come out of habit. Why am I arguing with people on Twitter about tickets? Um, <laughs> I've nothing else to do. Pick and fight. Um, but you sat there saying, like, you know, it is an opportunity if you sit down and talk to us and say, well, okay, this many members are going to miss out who went to European games last year. Never mind the new ones who want to come. How do we overcome that problem? Well, we need a bigger ground. We need more capacity. Well, okay, well, we're worried that, you know, the seat return might be over 10 years. Well, you know what, as fans, we're willing to take that. If it means there's a bit less in the pot for players because we've got good players at the minute, we'll take that. Because, and it comes back to the Shankly thing, Shankly wants to build the pool up into being a bastion of invincibility and make everybody else submit. But the other Shankly quote about socialism, I think, gets misused. He talks about everyone sharing in the rewards. Liverpool is now successful. There is a reward from that. Financial for the players and all the staff involved, for the ownership, the value of the club and their assets has just gone up astronomically. For us, we get to watch a really good, successful team and have some boss memories. But what about the next generation? What's their share in the rewards? Exclusion. You know, harder to get tickets. They've got an opportunity to say, well, you know, as we grow to be successful, you're going to grow with What's the legacy and, of it, and basically? And, and buy us into it. Saying to us, well, you know what? We can only make this main stand. We can only make this any road. Stack up if we have loads of... Young kids, loud, passionate support, building on it to drive us on to be even more successful. So that, like Gibbo says, we never lose a game again. That's your commitment. So that everyone turning up isn't going to take for granted next year that Liverpool are the European champions and you know basking our glory. Everyone should be turning up saying, well, you know what, this new stand's been built and we're going to make ourselves even louder, even more passionate and drive them players onto them extra two points that might win you the league. And I think that's the trade-off where they say, well, come on, we'll, we'll genuinely... Do it together. So it's about presenting and delivering on a vision, isn't it? I mean, yes. you know, you look, you look at Man City and like, look, we can volley them everywhere about some aspects of their ownership and all the rest of it. But at the same time, if you speak to City fans, if you go to that area of Manchester and speak to people there, they're actually quite happy with what's happened yeah. because they've got great facilities on the doorstep. They've got opportunities for kids in that area to play football. You know, the the scouting in that area. They've been good neighbours, basically. You know, no matter what else you want to say about that regime. And, and I know they've got more money and all the rest of it and blah blah blah. But that's kind of to what, what Liverpool need to do for me now. Because once upon a time, these people came in. They made mistakes. You know, you said before you're wrong about FSG, but were you though? Because have they just yeah, got absolutely. better? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think and, and I think, yeah, maybe that, I think probably they have. I, I think at first they made mistakes, but they have learned from those mistakes. But they need to continue to do so. I think loads of the work that they've done has been fantastic. But I'd like to think other people in Liverpool, the city, with vision as well, get stuck into the owners as well and say, listen, this is great for the city, great for the area. You know, for me, like being my age and growing up in the area I have and everything else, it annoyed me for a long, long time. Still does a little bit about the money Manchester got, about the investment Manchester got, about the vision Manchester had. 
And even now, still, you, you look at things like, you know, Channel 4, why didn't he pick Liverpool? What went wrong there? He was doing something about that, and that's a bigger conversation, obviously. But I just think Liverpool FC is a part of that, and Everton, and everything else. You know, like, it's all stuff. It's our city, and you can continue to grow it and make it better and better and better. And it's it's a world away from what it once was. It's way better than what it once was. But like I said before, you don't have to drive too far or walk too far to find the pockets where there's still problems. And Liverpool can play a part in making all that even better. And the engagement in football thing, which you used to be touching on before, is so vital because, you know, I'm literally watching my own kids grow up not being engaged in football the more engaged in computer games you know and even things like you know I go back and visit my mum and dad and look at fields where I used to play football with my mates and the fields have gone or they've been landscaped or they haven't got goalposts there anymore which I don't understand you know there's less people engaged and participating in the areas that I used to play football from what I can just see on that evidence so Liverpool, Everton, all football teams need to have a bit of a think about it and not just say, it's sound right now. They need to look way beyond that and it's it's all about the vision. You, you yeah. talk, sorry, John. It's looking into the future mm. as well, isn't it, Leanne, as, 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 as Gareth says there, and it's saying, you know, we need to be, you know, inspiring people to, to believe that Liverpool Football Club is something that they're part of because although it's great now, you know, you don't want football to become something that people watch on the telly. Mm-hmm. You want football to be something that you feel like, well, I can go down to that yeah. if I want to. Yeah, it all comes back to kind of capitalising on moment. Football football is about moments. Liverpool are in a good one. And now they need to progress. They need to move forward. Um, I think, you know, a good point was made that people don't like to see football as a business, but it is a business. And, you know, you have to kind of capitalise on that as well. And I just wonder if FSG at the moment are are almost they took their time with the transfers they've now got it right and if they're wondering oh there's such a demand there for this stadium and they don't want to get it wrong so to do that and you know that they're, they're almost planning too much taking their time too long just to make sure they get everything right but if you do that football will surpass you you know the moment will be gone yeah. um and so i just think you know it, it comes down to capitalizing and and kind of expanding on what what good you've got at the moment and other people aren't sitting still Kevin this is the thing though like we haven't been to the Tottenham Stadium yet I think when we go next year we're going to be like it's, fuck it's, it have you been I've been yeah is it good? I, I went to the to the press thing it was like a hotel yeah um, unbelievable the the stadium you can't fault it but obviously Tottenham don't have it on the pitch they don't have the success on the pitch yeah. so it's kind of a it's effectively the opposite of the problem Liverpool have they've got the stadium they don't have the players Liverpool have the players they don't have the stadium so that is the model that Liverpool need to follow um, and yeah, I mean the stadium's phenomenal when you go. Is like, it phenomenal as it. a football stadium, or is it phenomenal as like a work of architecture? Because it's two different things, isn't it? Yeah, How many times yeah. have you been to a new football stadium? You go, yeah. No, it's been fucking shit. Yeah. Everyone says it's great, and everyone no, says is, like yeah, it's in terms yeah, of like you know as a football stadium. And I think just that's... build that then <laughs> But I think I think when we go next year, I think there'll be a new like. Well, I'm going. Why have Tottenham got a better stadium yeah. than us? And it's and it's Gareth. It's it's kind of like looking at well. I noticed this week that they're knocking down the San Siro, stuff like that. And, you know, obviously we went to Atletico's new ground, which was incredible. You know, the fact that, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid and all that, they've already got to the Bosque Stadium. So if we're saying we're as big as all these clubs, then we can't be, you know, poking around on mid-50s, really. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I did the Isle Chestnut before in case this came up and I was just having a look then. So obviously Wembley's 90,000, Swickenham's 82, Old Trafford 75, Cardiff 74, Murrayfield, if you want to go up there, 67. London Stadium, which is obviously West Ham, 66. Tottenham, 62. Celtic, 60 and a half. Emirates, 60.2. Etihad, 55. And then Anfield. And yeah. it, it's like, you know, even if you want to be a bit daft, and I'm fine being a bit daft, 
Like, if we build a big, massive stadium, it's another, like, we've got bollocks as a football club. Yeah. We're going somewhere. We're heading somewhere. We back ourselves to fill it. And, you know, I remember John Henry once upon a time talking about things, what Kev was saying about sort of return on investments and it would take 15 years maybe and things like that. And it was just like, or, you know, this isn't London and things like that. Don't want to hear that, to be honest. Yeah. Liverpool Football Club's not going anywhere. And these are just the current custodians and the current people with the keys. And so, you know, we 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 all love our club, love our city, and want people to be engaged with it in the future. So make it accessible, make it easier to get people in there. Enjoy that match day buzz that we've all enjoyed around this table and take that on. Because as we said before, it's dead easy, I think. It's not I, I don't think I, I think it's really underestimated how there, there could be a a generation who aren't asked about going to football. There's already a generation that, like, you know, wouldn't want to go to a non-league match or wouldn't want to go to matches further down the, the ladder, if you like. They don't have that kind of love for football. That's what I think, anyway. Mm. feels a lot harder for a Tranmere or for a Southport or for a Marine than it once did because it's just not football that people are engaging with younger people as much because they've got gifts, because they've got clips, because they've got Messi, because they've got FIFA, Pro Evo and all that type of way of, of engaging with football. So feels like there needs to be a big thing, not just for Liverpool. Is right. Okay. Um, coming up, we're speaking about Newcastle. We've got stuff on the Cup of America and the Women's World Cup. And then I'm going to figure out an award. I want an award. So we're going to do that in the room. We're going to brainstorm it uh, live with you. Um, yeah, this is the weekend. I don't go anywhere. I'm going to talk about Newcastle United now and we're going to talk about Rafa Benitez and to help us with that I've got Alex Hurst from the True Faith fanzine and podcast up in Newcastle. Um, Alex, I mean it's a strange one really because for for something that's been in the pipeline for a long time it, it sort of felt like it came a bit out of the blue. Yes, definitely and I, I think everyone was taken by surprise on Monday lunchtime when it came out. I think a lot of fans had come to realise something wasn't quite right, considering the, the time that had elapsed. And we all know that Rafa Benitez is a meticulous planner and will be working hard in pre-season. And, and as kind of once once we got through the whole of May without him signing up, um, you know, a lot of us feared the worst. And then, uh, unfortunately, the worst has actually happened. And there's been, a, there's been a huge outpouring of grief and anger from the support since then. Yeah, it's as you say, it's a, it's it's a range of emotions that Newcastle fans are, are, are feeling and are kind of a, are portraying on social media. Really, there's the fact that you, you've lost a manager who, who who you seem to love, who had that bond with the supporters, but there's also, as you say, that 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 anger with the, the football club that that has never really gone away. That's always kind of been there, you know, pretty much ever since Ashley took over. Definitely, and there's a, there's an arrogance around the people who run Newcastle United, and, I'm, and I'm, well, there's definitely an arrogance around Mike Ashley. But even the people he's installed to do the job for him, you know, the the two previous appointments before Rafa Benitez, and by the way, Rafa Benitez approached Newcastle United for the job, not the other way around, um, were John Carver, who's hopeless. Where where's he in football now? <laughs> and Steve McLaren, who's hopeless. Where is he in football now? Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of um, trepidation around that, and the fact that. They wanted the, the Rafa Benitez, by all accounts, to work within their model, their proven failed model. Um, just just kind of shows that nothing's really changed, and there's a, there's a real feeling if if you read things that Lee Charnley has said as managing director, and that the very few communications he, he puts out there, this isn't really speak to fans because it don't matter. Um, he, he's always talked talked about the collective success and how the players don't get enough credit and. There's a real feeling that they think they've done a great job. They think Rafa Benitez gets all the credit. 
Um, so there's, it, it, it looks like they didn't really want to keep him anyway. Um, they're after a far more compliant manager uh, who won't go to the press or or do all these things. And that's the sad thing because I think Rafa Benitez came to Newcastle United because he thought it was a big club yeah. and he's probably leaving because it's actually quite small and it's and it's a real shame that he's kind of had to make that decision three years down the line. I mean, just to, you know, it's crazy to think that there's still, you know, debate over Rafa's time at Newcastle. I know that it's been a frustration for you guys, you know, certain pundits who probably just don't like him, to be honest with you, saying, well, he's had money to spend, you know, you point to, it was the same stuff he used to get at Liverpool when he was under Hicks and Gillette, you know, when we used to complain and we used to have similar complaints about our owners that we're not asking for a lot. We just want to spend the money that the club earns and for it not to be taken out. And it's, you know, you're not asking for, for kind of city style, you know, huge investment. It's, it's, you know, we're, we're filling the stadium more or less every week. It's a big club. There's, there's the Premier League money, which we know is huge. Why are we spending less than Bournemouth? And it feels like, you know, that's all Newcastle fans have ever wanted for me. And that and that's that's more or less what Rafa's asked for, really, and he hasn't got it. And the fact that there's still, you know, as I say, there's still any debate over Rafa's job at, at Newcastle just seems kind of crazy to me anyway. No, I think I think anyone who would, who would question it doesn't understand football. I mean, to, to take over a club... I mean, Rafa has walked in Newcastle United in 19th place, five points from safety, um, with 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 no fit left backs, Jack Colback and Musa Sissoko were having to play a left back, um, and they're not left backs, and and he didn't manage to keep us up, but he took 13 points from his 10 games, which you know for most teams in a relegation battle, that's a tremendous return from your final 10 games. Yeah, um, managed to bring the club up at the first attempt, and has comfortably kept the club up twice, beating beating everybody along the way. I think in fact it's only Liverpool that he's failed to beat. <clears throat> Liverpool and Watford, and uh, no, actually, will beat Watford this season. So he's beaten everyone. No, no team has, has not been beaten by Rafa Benitez as Newcastle United is, um, and he's made the club in that period a twenty-one million pounds transfer profit, which is just you know that, that's all, that's almost football manager stuff. That's not real life. Um, and uh, this, it's true of any fan base and any club. The, the people who know the club best, the people who watch the, the players and the team every week, and. He he transformed a, a football club that was devoid of any passion, realistically, and, and was 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 headed down to to the depths that our near neighbour Sunderland currently find themselves in. If he hadn't turned up, and um, he's done a tremendous job, and I've, I've just been podcasting and writing about it. And, and some of the some of the the last three years as a supporter have been some of the best three years of my life. And there's been plenty of dross along the way, and there's been defeats, and there's been bad feeling and anger at the owner and, and lack of transfers but ultimately the last three years will be treasured by Newcastle United fans in my opinion So there's obviously there's a period of, of mourning which seems to be going on I've been following the kind of the true faith you know tweets and, and articles coming out since then and obviously there's there's a real kind of you know element of, of mourning to, to what's lost but also I know there's an element of what do we do now amongst Newcastle supporters, and that's and that's difficult. It's difficult to mobilise a fan base in, in behind, you know, one idea really. But I know there's talk of boycotting the first game. I've seen a Twitter account set up, you know, uh, along that effect. Really, I mean, what are the kind of things that are being talked about, and and what do you think is most likely to kind of get the most traction? I think I think what will work any more than any social media activism or anything like that is is just apathy. You know, I know loads of people that have cancelled season tickets um, who are on long-term deals. The season ticket deadline for renewals is, is next week. We won't have a manager by then. Um, and I think that, 
you'll still get a hardcore of people go to games. You, you kind of get people saying, well, you know, I, I like going to the match. Why should Mike actually take that away from you? And I'm sympathetic to that view. But um, it, it's it's really hard. When I, and I, I know it was kind of the same at Liverpool when you were going through tough times where it's, it's, it's hard to, to get a large body of people to all think and do the same thing, particularly if you, if you try and do it. People people are inclined to do the opposite. So I think apathy will be the, the winner, as it were, or the loser, whatever. People will just stop going to the match. People will stop caring. And the club will have to bring a manager in at incredibly short notice. And then they've, they've got a major, there's like 45 days until the transfer window shuts or something. They've, they've got half a first team to buy with players that are out of contract and players that have said they want to leave. So it's a massive task. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the chairman of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust. We've, we've picked up 4,000 members since Monday. Wow. Um, so you know we we have a few plans in the pipeline for you know you know down the line about for a few different things. So we're we're hoping a lot of fans join us. You know we're we're not a we're not a boycott movement. We're not a protest movement, um, but we can certainly lend our weight behind any boycotts or protests. But ultimately, I think the next few weeks, if the, if the club starts spending money again and they bring in a, a reasonable manager, um, you know people can be won round, but, pe- but people will never forgive them for this. Um, and, and obviously the, the, the fear is that we, we know that I, I know these clubs have got managers but a Leicester a West Ham uh, even an Everton I don't think you would go to Everton because he didn't like them but those kind of clubs if they were to get hold of a Rafa Benitez they could become serious forces in the Premier League and yeah. I think that would be quite painful for Newcastle fans I think we'd much rather he went to China or something like that <laughs> and never came back um, yeah. so that, that's the fear having to play against a side managed by him but you know we'll have to wait and see what happens is the fear that you might lose a few players? I saw an article saying that up to five might leave, and I think it was quote tweeted by a Newcastle fan saying only five. And it must be a case <coughs> of the fact that you know the, the players have all come out obviously in support of Rafa Benitez, thanking him for the for the time there, and they must feel a little disillusioned as well. You talk about apathy, and but that must be the case amongst certain players as well who thought, well, you know, maybe Rafa had brought them to the club, or, or certainly, you know, he'd helped develop them. And they must be thinking, well, well what's the direction of, of the company that I currently work for? 100%. And I think the sign of a good manager, particularly when you're, you're in the part of the league that Newcastle are in, is you never heard any complaints from players not in the team. You didn't hear about players wanting to leave. You didn't hear, I don't think anyone put a transfer request in in his whole time at the club. Um, you know, compare that to before we came when we had key first team players constantly talking about leaving. You know, Musa Sissoko, Eugenie Wijnaldum's people like that. So he obviously had a tremendous amount of respect from the from the players. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. There are, there are players that that Rafa Benitez has significantly improved. You know, someone like Jose Perez, who who is a really really good footballer, um, will be thinking, well, when Rafa Benitez was here, there was obviously some sort of plan from the club to try and progress, push back towards the top six. You know, I, I don't know, I've no idea who the next manager is, but say it was a Steve McLaren equivalent, players will be thinking, well, it's just relegation battle after relegation battle, and they're, they're boring they're, they're boring and rubbish as fans, but they must be also really stressful and not too fun for players as well. So if you want to progress your career as a Premier League footballer, why would you stay at Newcastle United? Just before we finish, Alex, I just want to talk a bit about Rafa Benitez as the man, and because I think the the, the the people who know what he's like, you know, as, as as a manager, but also as a person, as you say, those fans who kind of work with him really. And I wrote something for Paddy Power this week where I talked about, you know, there's this impression of Rafa that he's cold, that he's detached, you know, he doesn't celebrate goals, you know, he's he's you know he's he fall, he fall out with anyone and stuff like that. Whereas supporters, Liverpool supporters love him, and Newcastle supporters love him, and 
you don't sort of get that bond with someone who's 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 not warm, who's not you know he's he's a winner, yeah, but he is he is an individual, isn't he? That that obviously resonates with it with a certain type of person, and that's been Scouts and Geordies. Definitely not. I'll tell you a story, hopefully for your listeners to give it to give them an idea. I'm, I'm really lucky through through True Faith where back in the early days when the club still liked us and wasn't at war with everybody when he first came when it was what Rafa wants he gets in the, the championship season. We we were really fortunate to go in and, and have kind of lengthy meetings with Rafa about like literally everything his time at Liverpool, Newcastle, Real Madrid. He started the guy talking and he didn't stop him. I must have spent about 20, 25 hours in that season. Wow. And the, fir- the first time I went in, I was late, massively late, because I couldn't find the training ground because the training ground is an embarrassment and like it's hidden. It's not like most probably training grounds where obviously you, you couldn't miss them. So I was late and I walked into the room, obviously never never having met Rafa Benitez before, nervous as anything, got this, you know, you just sat at work, someone from the club's ring, would you like to come in and meet Rafa Benitez? It's like, yeah, yes, I would. Is this, <laughs> is this real? Is this a wind-up? And um, I went in and... I went in and everyone, there's about four other people from different fan groups there and everyone was silent and Rafa Benitez just, just stared at me. He stood up and he went, you do realise it's a £1,000 fine for being late <laughs> to this training ground. I didn't really know what to say. He walked over to me and he said, how, how do you want to pay? Do you want to pay in instalments or pay up front? And I, just, I, I didn't know what to say. And he just gave me this massive two-handed bear hug. He's like, sit yourself down. So he, he's he's a, he's a hilarious bloke. I'll never forget that. Um, and he's 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 obviously like you say, he's totally different to that you know persona that he has of, of being very calm on the touchline, which is obviously for the players because he likes his players to, to remain calm. I mean, I know we've already talked football, but we've hardly had a red card in the three years he's been here. I, you know, we've had two that were rescinded. That's possibly because the players are so calm and collected like him. But away from the pitch. He's an absolute gentleman. And the, the community work and the charity work he's done in the city is, you know, other managers do it, I'm sure, but but no one has gone out of the way as much to do it as he has and, and done as much good for stuff like the, the NUFC Food Bank, um, you know, the, the Disabled Association. He's always given up his time and his money. And he's going to be a massive loss, not just as a football manager, but as a person and as an ambassador for this region. Here, here. Huge thanks to Alex for joining us. Um, do check out what the True, True Faith are doing on Twitter and also online through the websites as well. I'm sure there's more tales to be told into this story. Maybe Ashley or Sally will end up back at Newcastle. You never know. That'll be lovely, wouldn't it? But in the meantime, um, yeah, thanks to Alex for joining us. And I think we're going to talk about Copper America next. And it is John Gibbons for the weekend. And delighted to be joined by Simon Edwards on the phone, who's becoming our Copper America correspondent, um, sort of whether, whether he likes it or not. So, um, Simon, thanks for, thanks for coming back on the show. No, thanks for the invitation. Uh, happy to talk Copper America. Okay. Looking enjoying it. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad you've been enjoying it. And, and the football that I've seen has been good. Um, I, I want to start by go, sort of going through the groups, and we'll start with Group A, and, and that gives us a chance to talk a, bit, a little bit about Brazil as well, because that's where maybe Liverpool fans will interest to be, be closest with Roberto Firmino over there, getting on the on the score sheet as well. And they seem to have um, returned to form a little bit, qualified with, with ease in the end for the last eight, with a, with a five win final win over Peru. Firmino on the score sheet again, and and played pretty well in that game from what I saw. Yeah, I think it definitely helped that Peru shot themselves in the foot twice in the first 20 minutes. Um, with Brazil in this tournament, they've they've looked really good once they've scored the first goal. It's that first goal that's been an issue. And okay. uh, some Peruvian issues, Gagese kicking the ball straight at Firmino um, and a bit of sloppy defending early on gave Brazil that that foothold in this, in this game. And once they had that, then they ran away with it. They looked great. 
Coutinho and Artur in midfield were really nice passing um, between themselves. Um, that looks like a really interesting combination. Coutinho is so much better in the middle than he is out wide. It just doesn't really work, yeah. particularly for Brazil. Um, but with Everton on the left, who's had a really impressive tournament, and actually Gabriel Jesus played on the right and did quite well. Um, yeah. They they played Firmino and Jesus, but um, Jesus was on the right wing. Firmino has been a slight issue for Brazil just because they... They want someone to be a focal point for them in attack. I think Firmino's best when he's able to be fluid and to connect with players that he, he knows really well. Coming into the Brazil side at times, he wasn't quite providing what they wanted, but they've kept with him. He did well in this game, scored a, a nice goal. I mean, gifted somewhat, but finished it <laughs> nicely. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see what Brazil do moving forward. But for me, the issue with Brazil is that first goal. They struggled to get it against Bolivia. It was late in the game. They got a penalty. Then they scored three in the end. Um, they couldn't score against Venezuela. So, for me, against Paraguay, uh, it will be interesting to see how that goes. Um, because Paraguay are going to sit deep, I think. So, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, so far, Brazil, definitely they've got quality. Artur is a, is a big game-changer for them in midfield because he's, he's so good on the ball and passing and moving. Him and Coutinho look good. It's whether they can play those two in the middle and still have enough to keep things tight but uh, yeah so far so good for Brazil uh, you mentioned that the Paraguay game um, that will be taking place sort of as, as we're talking so people listen to this will probably know that the, the result kind of before us but um, so we don't want to preview it too much because you'll just end up looking silly but the fact is that uh, it looks like <laughs> uh, I know Finadinho is, is going to miss out and uh, Casameo already missing as well Um I mean, this is a, from a Liverpool bias point of view but do you think the manager might, might be regretting not taking Fabinho at the moment? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it looks like Alan's going to play. I think in this game, Paraguay um, have Almiron, who's been impressive and converts defence to attack very quickly. But they don't have much else going forward. I mean, they're going to win 6 now. No, I've said that. But um, <laughs> I, I would be very, very surprised. I think they're going to be playing for penalties, basically. Um, and the two of the last three Copa Americas, they beat Brazil on penalties. There's no extra time. So... Interesting to see, um, but yeah, I think I think they do look a little bit short in that position now. Um, I think Alan in this game will be fine, um, but moving forward, it, it would be good to have an extra uh, traditional kind of hard-working ball winner in there for when they need it. Yeah, and to move the, way, the focus away from Liverpool and to to literally Everton, uh, who's been someone who's kind of caught the eye, someone who I didn't know anything about at all. Obviously, still plays his club football in South America. Um, They've got a, a good history, I would say, of the, the Brazil national team of, of, of looking for, for players in their leagues and not just kind of looking across to Europe. Um, he's someone who who's really kind of caught the eye in this tournament. What more can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's, he's very, very quick, very direct. Um, in, a t- in a Brazilian side, the, in the opening games, as I mentioned, it's a little bit trepidatious, a few too many deep crosses. Uh, Everton is the opposite of that. Running straight at the fullback against Peru, uh, Peru had Avincula, who's the fastest player in the world, ever recorded to run on the pitch. And Everton made him look slow. I mean, obviously, it's the acceleration, it's the, it's yeah. the body movement, it's it's the you know the quick little trick here and there. But he can go on the outside, he can go on the inside, 23 years old, playing for Gremio, um, called the Little Onion, uh, because he's, he's got a head like an onion. <laughs> but it's, also, <laughs> it's a Brazilian cartoon called The Little Onion and he looks just like him but um, yeah so very impressive uh, has been the standout player for Brazil uh, in this World 
in this Copa America so far, very quick, very skillful, and uh, yeah, could definitely do a job at a good level in Europe. Okay, um, on to Group B then, and Argentina, the sort of the big name in that. Um, they've sort of gone into the quarterfinals, but a little bit of kind of unconvincingly, they probably would have expected to to rack up a bigger score against Qatar, got through 2-0. It, it seems a bit of a mystery to me, and maybe you can enlighten me a little bit, sort of why... Why they, why they haven't done better, not just in this tournament, but generally recently, it feels like, you know, Argentina, we, isn't it just a case of, of setting up a team to get the best out of Messi and, and other kind of quality players there? Why, why do you think they do struggle, or, or indeed, you, if, you, if you think they are? Yeah, you know, they were lucky to qualify for the World Cup. Um, they were one of the worst teams in the, in the South American qualifying in the last year before the World Cup. They just snuck in largely on Messi moments. They surprised me at the World Cup because they were much better than I thought they'd be and they weren't very good. Um, but yeah, this is a team with huge problems. The manager is a temporary manager with no clear idea of what he wants to do. He came in and had a clear... He, he set his stall out and said, we want to play with wingers, we want to be more direct, more vertical. And then Messi came back and well, you can't really do that. <laughs> so his his plan wasn't really viable with, with Messi coming back in. Obviously, you play Messi. Messi is incredible. But often Messi has to do everything and, and people don't really take responsibility. Uh, Aguero's come back into the team, um, which makes a lot of sense. And they look like they're now going to play Aguero and Lautaro Martinez up front, which is a really good front too with Messi in behind. Um, but the issue is they, they're bad at defence. They're, they're individually, the defence is bad and collectively they're awful. Uh, Otomende looks terrible. Foyt is incredibly clumsy. Good player, but particularly for this Argentina side with so much pressure, he looks really, really clumsy. Saravia at fullback looks poor. Tagliafico obviously had a great season in Europe, but again, doesn't look at that level. Franco Armani is a good goalkeeper, but people don't seem to trust him very much. In midfield, they don't really have any defensive midfielders. Um, Los Celso, Paredes, De Paul, good players, but the balance isn't quite there. This was by far the worst Qatar have played, and they almost they almost got at least a point in this game. And this is the best Argentina have played. So Argentina will go on to play Venezuela, and I don't make Argentina favourites on paper. They're a team full of superstars, but they just don't play that way. There's no collectivity. There's no responsibility. There's no organization. And Messi just gets stuck doing everything. You know, you've seen moments in this tournament where everyone's clinging to the touchline and Messi's in the middle with seven men around him. It's insane. So we'll see what happens. If things click, of course, this is a team that has goals in it. But I think if you attack the Argentine defense, then you score because they just there's no there's no organization there so we'll see <laughs> we'll see indeed uh and then group c to kind of finish off uh, i've got to talk about uruguay i've got to talk about luis suarez he's been very luis suarez in this <laughs> tournament everyone will have seen the the clips if you didn't see the game of claiming for the penalty for handball for the from the goalkeeper uh, look at he looked like he was trying to get a pitch invaded a booked at one point he's i mean he's, he's he's been his best version of himself i guess you could say <laughs> yeah i mean he's just super competitive um, and he'll do everything to get an advantage so yeah you you can't really complain but it, it does look a bit silly when you're trying to get a, a handball on the goalkeeper and <laughs> well, what happened with the pitch invader is um, he was running around the pitch and uh, Hara who is also a bit of a controversial figure particularly for Uruguay having stuck his finger somewhere intimate 
on Cavani to try and wind him up and succeeding and Cavani responding to not having that kind of intrusive behaviour, um, <laughs> reacting angrily to Hara in the previous Copa America. Um, so Hara's not very popular in Uruguay, to say the least. Um, but yeah, Suarez, uh, Hara tripped up the pitch invader and Suarez said, hey, send him off, send him off. <laughs> Apparently that is a that is a, the correct call, but it's a, it's a little bit harsh and not very sportsmanlike from Suarez. But uh, yeah, I mean, he embodies the traditional Uruguayan win-at-all-cost spirit and uh, it's it's done well for them over the years. It certainly has. Uh, Chile in that group as well. It's, it's nice to see Alexis Sanchez doing a bit, um, you know, for... I, I, I won't quite say rolling back the years, but he's he's looked lively, and he certainly looked at you know more of the player that, that we we knew two or three years ago. Yeah, definitely more confident. Uh, I think his fitness. I mean, obviously, we're talking about a ridiculous benchmark yeah. because he could run forever, but it's not quite what it was in terms of his sharpness. But he's definitely been looking better. For this, for me, this Chilean side is all about the midfield three. Uh, Vidal gives them all the energy. They've got a, a an interesting player in Pulgar. Uh, who's 25 now, playing for Bologna, but he's really good at passing the ball alongside Aranquis in the Chilean midfield. For me, that's the key to this Chilean side. Um, they're going to play Colombia next. I think Colombia are probably favourites just because this Chilean side is ageing. They've still got Bolsa Jor. Remember the guy from Birmingham back 10 years ago? Yeah. He's still the fullback. Yeah. Um, so their defence is more than the sum of its parts, but the sum of its parts isn't great. Gary Medell... The little defensive midfielder is playing centre-back. So that, for me, is the vulnerability with this Chilean side. They've also got Eduardo Vargas, who played in the Premier League and didn't really do anything, but has been very good for Chile over the years. So they've got a good passing midfield, a defence that's organised and, and unified, but a little bit lacking in pace and physicality and height, which could be important. So it'll be interesting to see how they do, but I think Colombia could get out that defence. And as long as they keep the midfield quiet, then I, I, I fancy their chances. But... Sanchez definitely looking closer to what we've seen before. Very much more confident um, and and taking a bit of ownership for this team. Uh, I think he was a bit sidelined at Man United at times. Okay, and just to kind of finish off, really, um, there's been a bit of uh, not I would say contra- controversies, kind of pushing it, but there's been a bit of talk about playing services. There's you know quite a few of the grounds. I've noticed some criticism of the, the Maracanã. I think that some of the pitches in Salvador as well, saying a bit of a bumpy service. There's been talk of high temperatures, which kind of you know haven't haven't helped. I mean, what what were your thoughts on that? Do you think it's affected the tournament? If it's affected some of the some of the attacking play that we've seen, um, perhaps. I mean, it is a slight issue at times. Uh, you you can see uh, the ball bobbling. Messi sent a shot out of the stadium, which is a bit uncharacteristic. <laughs> and you looked at the replay, and it was bouncing up by his knee all of a sudden. So maybe maybe understandable. It has had. An impact to some extent. I don't think it's been huge. I think the football has been what we would have expected. There's not a huge notable drop-off in quality. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, generally the tournament, the teams that have set out to defend have generally done quite well with it. But the issue is now with this handball rule, the way it's interpreted and with yeah. VAR, there's teams that have done really great defensive work. But Today, in the way the rules are at the moment, it is very hard to defend a lead because if the ball's near your box, at some point it's going to hit someone's hand yeah. or at some point someone's going to... A little brush of the shoulder or whatever and you slow it down on VAR and it looks like an assault. So 
it's interesting because teams have done very well, very, very successful defending some of the inferior teams, perhaps in quality. But then they've been caught out by a moment of VAR. So I think for me, that's been one of the key issues as it has, I think, around the world this summer. Okay, uh, huge thanks to Simon for joining us. You can follow him if you want more on Copa America. He's at Simon Edwards SAF on Twitter. Um, but are you enjoying it, Simon? You seem to be. Yeah, I, 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 this is the first tournament where I've watched literally every game. So even World Cups, I don't, I don't normally get that many games in. So yeah, I've definitely enjoyed it. There's lots of different uh, styles of play and stories and narratives. It's not, it's not World Cup quality. It's not European Championship quality quite, but. Uh, there's there's no easy games, you know. South American teams always make a game of it, you know. They'll they'll stick in, they'll they'll try some dirty tactics, they'll they'll push the boundaries. So even when it's a really strong side against perhaps a weaker side, they'll definitely do something to kind of even the score a little bit. Well, as we go into the knockouts, it's totally going to get more exciting. So do try and uh, check out the Copa America. Uh, follow Simon's tweets, who's uh, covering it all. As he says, he's a yeah, South American football expert who normally writes for World Football, but he's helping us out, so we appreciate it. So, yeah, back to the studio now. Thanks to Simon. Yeah, delighted to be joined now by Chelsea Grimes, who is out of the Women's World Cup in La Havre today for the Norway and England game. Uh, what sort of game are you expecting tonight, Chelsea? Obviously, one of the things that England haven't lacked so far is, is excitement in their games. Um, yeah, to be honest, I'm just, I actually met uh, <laughs> Ada Hegerberg yesterday, who's the best player in the world, the Ballon d'Or winner, and she's Norwegian, but obviously she took a stand not to play for the national team, so I think we're all just super excited that she's not playing tonight, otherwise it could have been a bit worse for us. But yeah, I think everyone feels pretty confident, you know, I'm, I've been talking to a few a few of the fans and a few of the players, and everyone feels confident, and um, obviously it's a quad final, so it's, it's an AV, but you know, anything can happen. But I'm, I'm confident, yeah. I think it's going to be a 2-1 or maybe 1-0 dramatic extra time winner. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned that you spoke to a few of the fans out there. It's been great sort of going on social media and, and seeing that there's, there's there's a good following over there. And obviously the England-Scotland game got a big viewing over here as well. Do you, do you, have you been getting that sense when you've been out there that there is a real, a real buy and there's a real investment from people into this tournament and into this England team as well? Yeah, it's been absolutely amazing. Um, obviously, I've got a little piece that runs throughout the show. Every every time there's an England game on, I have like a two-minute thing at half-time or before the game. Or like, I get to go into the city and, and speak to some fans and just get a proper vibe. And every single game I've been to, it just got better and better. And everyone's feeling more confident with every game, even though, you know, the last game against Cameroon, it was, you know, actually people were speaking about everything else apart from the football, really, because it was so dramatic. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to get to get out in the city in about an hour and go and see what's going on. But in our hotel, there's been a few, and like I said, they, everyone's just buzzing. You know, with England in quarterfinal of a World Cup, it's just amazing. And you mentioned that obviously uh, Hegerberg's not going to be there for for Norway tonight. There's a couple of doubts for England as well with Millie Bright and Steph Houghton. How do you think they'd be able to to cope if if those two weren't to play? I mean, hopefully they're going to be all right because, you know, they're the two centre-backs that have played the whole tournament and right throughout. So I think if you take that out, that's a massive loss for us if even one of them goes, never mind two of them. Um, you know, I feel a bit a bit worse if, if they're not there. But I feel like, you know, they're not going to want to not play in a quarter-final. Like I said, it's a huge game for them and the squad. So I think they should be all right, uh, fingers crossed. 
And you mentioned about the, the sort of controversy that VAR has caused and obviously a few of the, the antics that went on in, in the Cameroon-England game. How much, is, how much has that been a talking point from, from people who are around the World Cup and the people that you've spoke to? How much have, have people been commenting on that? Because it, it almost feels like VAR is almost in this, always in this dress rehearsal phase where we're all, all looking at it and going, well, when it finally gets implemented, is it going to be this disastrous? Yeah, I mean, it's just, for me, I hate it at the minute. It's just, you know, you can't even celebrate the goal without waiting 30 seconds to see if it's a goal or not. I think it is slowing everyone down. And, and it's just not, it's not the same, is it? I, I think when it works well, it works well. But even going back to that US-Spain game, USA-Spain game last week, I was at that game and, and I didn't think that was a penalty at all. But it went to VAR and it was still, you know, the ref said it was a penalty. But I watched it back and I, I thought it was soft. So, you know, VAR's there, but still, the referee can make a decision on it. So, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a shame that it's being spoken about this much. But it, it is affecting every single outcome and every single result. So, yeah, I think it, it's not right. Yeah, it's not. They've not got it right. But, you know, let's see. When it comes to the Premier League, it's going to be a whole other thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I imagine there'll be a lot, a lot of people complaining about it then, uh, week in, week out. There's obviously some massive games coming up this weekend, though, particularly uh, to tomorrow's game on the Friday France against the USA, obviously France the hosts who've, who've sort of set the tournament alight at the moment and uh, the USA who are, who are always favourites going into it as well. Do you, do you anticipate that that's going to be, you know, the clash that it's being billed to be? Yeah, obviously if we get through tonight, we play the winner of that game. Um, you know, everyone here and everyone who I've spoke to is a massive football fan still think that France could be the favourites. Um, some, you know, USA, like I said, I went to that USA-Spain game and, and they looked a bit you know, they didn't look themselves, really. You know, you push them at the back. Like, I've spoke to a few of the USA fans as well, and they're super confident because they win all the time. But around the rest of the, the teams, you know, the same USA haven't really been tested. Um, so I think if we got them, I do think it would be like a... I mean, yeah, it would be, be an exciting game. I, I think we could beat them. Um, but, you know, let's see if France can do it for us first. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for an upset, so that will be... That would be a big upset. But like I said, fans are a good team. So that's going to be a, a, an amazing game to watch. I think if you're a football fan and you're a neutral, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Do you think there's a chance in that complacency could could sort of creep in a bit for the USA, particularly for a team like France, who sort of they have been described as the outsiders, but, but they've also shown at this tournament they're more than capable of, of, of really putting it together? But the thing is, you know, obviously France are playing on home territory, so that helps massively. But if you've been to one or even listened to it on the radio, watch it on TV, any of the USA games, they travel with about 40,000, 50,000 fans and they just take over the stadium. So it is like the 12th woman in there, you know, playing. It's hard. The, the fans just shout for everything and they're, they're so rowdy. Um, and I think that atmosphere tomorrow, I'm excited to get into the stadium just to see if it's, you know, half France, half USA and it's actually going to be like a massive battle between the fans as well to see who can get behind the team more than the others. Uh, yeah, the atmosphere is just going to be going to be mad. So I think the advantage will be to whoever's fans allowed us tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> and, and then we obviously can't forget about the games on the Saturday. Either we've got Italy, Netherlands and Germany, Sweden. Uh, which of those games are you looking forward to most of the, what, what, in terms of the teams that are there? There is some exciting teams. There's obviously exciting teams at every stage at this, at this stage of the tournament, but... You must be looking at some of them games and, and sort of licking your lips at that prospect as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I've watched a few of the Netherlands games and, you know, they're both fronts. We played for Arsenal. She won Player of the Season, the FA Awards. Um, 
when I performed with that, she was there and I, I met her after the game and she's so lovely, so humble. She's just become the highest goal scorer for the Netherlands now and she's like 20, is she 23 or something? Very young anyway. Um, yeah, she's, she's a threat and the way she plays is just like, you know, so calm. It's just such a gorgeous footballer to watch. I've watched Italy as well and I think I think if Netherlands get through there and, and whatever and they're playing Italy, uh, I, I, I'd expect Netherlands to win um, both games, to be honest. Italy are, you know, a bit robust and, and they push it about a bit, but I can't see them beating Netherlands, if I'm honest. So, yeah, both two good games, but I think if it goes to plan, maybe the Netherlands will come out stronger on that side. You seem to be confident from what you were saying before that, that England will, will, should be getting through tonight against Norway. Is, is that something that you're, you're excited about the prospect of that? Excited about the prospect that maybe England could go on, go on and win this tournament? Yeah, like I said from the beginning, I'm, I'm like, I'm a confident person with anyone. Or I always back my team, maybe more than a show because I'm a bit biased. But <laughs> like I said, it's just going to be amazing if we get through tonight and we're in a semi-final of a World Cup. You know, you can't, you can't say anything. That's, that's an amazing achievement. And then, and then, you know, football happens again. You need some luck on your side and you need things to drop your way and things to go your way. Um, but, you know, I think we've just got to celebrate every round now we get through um, and just everyone get behind the girls and, and make them feel, you know, like what they're doing is amazing and not, not tear them down for maybe not playing well if we're getting through to the semi-final. That's the job done. A massive, massive, you know, take and hopefully we can go all the way. But I am confident I'm going to put it out there. Come on, Lionesses. <laughs> well, keep enjoying it. Keep soaking up the atmosphere. And yeah, hopefully they do bring it home. Nice one for talking to us, Chelsea. No worries, mate. Come on, see you in the final, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely. See you later. It's the How He's Insert and it's John Gibbons with Andy Heaton. Hiya. Hiya, John. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm here to talk about the important business of shaving. It's very important. It is very important. Uh, you're a well-groomed man. Uh, what's important to you when it comes to shaving? Uh, irritation or therefore lack of um, <laughs> that one is because I, I, I do get shaving rash occasionally um, just like feeling clean and that you yeah, know what I mean you yeah. know what I'm like I'm a bit of a clean freak and that yeah you are it's just like yeah and you know what I like nice shiny things as well <laughs> well it sounds to me like Harry's is for you um, a bit like you I get irritated as well I need to be careful shaving stuff like that I can cut easily I'm very sensitive both inside and out um, and, I, and, I, and I, so I need a good gel uh, basically, and a good razor. So um, when Harry's got in touch, sent us some stuff, and I thought, well, have a go because I'm not just going to endorse anything. You know what I mean? I, I like a good glide. Oh well, well, Harry's is definitely for you. Um, so if you want to sign up to Harry's today, uh, what you get from Harry's is uh, a razor that includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. So that is included a weighted ergonomic handle. That's in a shiny thing, Andy. Uh, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. Uh, a rich lathering shave gel, which sounds like you're going for the massage, but no, it's just a shave. And a, a travel <laughs> well, blade, a blade cover, uh, because I know you're Mr. International. Going away this summer, aren't you? I am, mate, yeah. Going All away. sorted. Uh, I am off. We have booked. We are going away. Booked it, packed it, That's, left off. Uh, exactly, yeah. I've had my haircut today, you know what I mean? Get in there. You can go over there clean shaven well. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe there is still time if you want to get an exclusive offer uh, from Harry's. You can get a trial set to, well, trial set today uh, for three ninety five by going to harrys.com Anfield. That is harrys.com forward slash Anfield. Uh, right now it says, but you know, that feels a bit seriously, aggressive to me. Four quid. Yeah, four quid and you get all that. No, no, uh, seriously, because I, I like spent like fourteen quid on like four blades the other day. Well, that is why. That is Harry's story. Uh, they say for decades one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped 
immense profits at the expense of their customers. Uh, so by taking less profit and directly selling straight to you over the internet, Harry's offer their blades at half the price. So there you are. So uh, oh, so Andy's kicking himself, spending a fortune in boots, but you don't have to. Uh, go to harrys.com and field and get your trial set today. Thanks to Harry's for this. Back to the show. And we're back in the main studio, and it is John Givens, and I'm still with Leanne, with Andy, with Gareth, with Kev, and with Jay. And basically, I want to do an award. So I always think the awards are too soon, like before the end of the season. You don't, you don't know how it's going to pan out yet. So we've had a little bit of time. We've had a little bit of reflection. We've thought about we, an amazing games, goals. I love the Jay still drinking Champions League uh, Pepsi, by the way. <laughs> It's like you being unbearable. Jesus, yeah, kicks that man. I, you know what, right? I, I go in and I think I'm going to get the one with most salad on. I'm just going to put it on my desk and work all the time. Every ever Tony must walk past and Has he got that again? Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going to. I want to do an award for the Anfield app, and I want it to be given to one of the players. But I don't want like just a, a general kind of player of the year type thing that Virgil just wins. I mean, Virgil still might win it, but I, but I want him to work a little bit harder. <laughs> so I want it to be like, like inspiration of man of the year something like that but I don't want Klopp to win it because I want one of the players to get it uh, come on Jay you're good at stuff like who this do you want, you might as well start with, who like, do you want to win I want it to be hard it's like the stadium this mate you've got an idea of what you want here no no I haven't I'm I'm fine <laughs> with Virgil winning I just want it to be close right, I want it to see, be difficult because I, want... I know like, when you started saying all that I'm thinking who do I want to win this I want Andy Robble to win the award I want Sen to win it okay so I think it's and well maybe it's similar lines to that I think it's it's embodiments, isn't it, of what yeah. you see as Liverpool? Or oh, well, I like that. And, and I think, and I think there's a thing, and I'm, we're doing a show, and I was thinking about this in a bit about players and the impact they've had on the pitch and why and stuff like that. And I, I, when I look at like a Robertson, and sense probably fits the same thing. Is growing up as a kid, when you're still blagging yourself that you can play when you're like 19, 20, you still think of Liverpool. I'm 35 and I'm yeah, still thinking yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thinking, Liverpool seeing me, I can definitely get a game, you know, bit of coaching, I'll be sad, <laughs> yeah. And you look at a player and you think like, what player could you be? What could you offer that team? And you'd always do that thing, don't you? And we have these chats as fans when in the times when we're not as good, you say, I want them, I want it to matter to them as much as it matters to me. And I don't, I do think in this current crop of players, it matters to them all. It, it does bother them and I think as professionals it does. Trent does it certainly in games, but 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 Robertson for me it it, it physically manifests itself on him. You could um, you know, you can see it bothers him. You can see it how he talks about things. He speaks like a fan when he says, you know, I think it was after West Ham when he says about you know who's saying that you know Liverpool yeah. still be getting. It's a bit like the Carragher time when you know they're saying who's bigger than Liverpool. Yeah. You no, know, he's he's sticking up for Liverpool. Like, who's saying this? And it's hate coming out in like frustration and angst and and I then when he plays, it's it's that thing of. It matters to him. He does what we'd all probably love to do to Messi. Think I'll put you back in your place, mate. And he, he's very good as well. He, and he's come from nowhere. It's a very working class thing. And I, and I just think the award that you've got to try and get across. I'd like to think you could give somehow, but it's, it's very subjective. Would be that who most represents us on the pitch. And I think there's a strong argument for Trent being he's the only scouser, and he is very, you know, he is very mindset of the modern Liverpool where we're at. But. I think you look at Andy Robinson, a story, and I, I know he's done his thing about it being a fairy tale, but just that grit, that determination, that that you know desire to be the best. No, he was come from Hull. It could have been very easy for people to write him off, and I think as a fan watching that week in week out, you're thinking, well, you know, he's lived our dream, he's living our dream, and he's he's actually growing with the club. So yeah, 
Whatever the award's going to be called, I'm, it's going to be the one for Andy Roberts. I'm, I'm in to I the... I feel like I've just given it to Andy Roberts, but no, I was actually no. what the award should be. I'm in for the embodiment of Liverpool as a, as a working title. Um, that, that might get changed, but I like that idea of like who, who like us on the pitch. Do you still want to give it to Trent, or is he the one you're going to lobby for? I'm, I'll lobby for Trent. And I'm just, what the award is. yeah, but but one. I think we've sort of got there. What the award is like? Yeah, because one of the one of the like the facets of the award can be how did he celebrate goals? And Andy Robinson <laughs> celebrates goals like a fucking loom, which I yeah. love, do you know what I mean? And since when Rodriguez scores that goal in the European Cup final, goes absolutely off his head like like we did in the stands. Yeah. So that's got to be a part of it. Whereas, listen, Big Verge was, he didn't want that money, but he fell over on the floor, not a little light down. <laughs> get, get a grip of yourself, Verge, if you want to win this award next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be shitting yourself now, like worrying about your Liverpool career. It's the one the old ones. Exactly. But since it's, for all the same reasons you just said about Robbo there to be fair you look at him and you just think oh my god like because he is from Liverpool as well I've got such I'm, I'm probably everyone in the room has I've got such a, a bond with him obviously you don't even know him but you feel like you've got to bond with him because he's such a great lad but he's doing all the things around what the club should be doing so as under armour money it looks like he's going to be donating the majority of that to local causes things like that that goes a long 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 way in this city and since Alexander Arnold to be 20, beat two European Cup finals, lost one, lanes, come back in, got dropped for the Barcelona away game, by the way. Was off the rest of what you want to call it, but it was dropped and come back in and finished the season so strongly. I want to give it to, uh, to Sense. Whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, Robbo, have you got any thoughts on what the award is or you want to give it to? Um... I mean, two two strong speeches or anything. <laughs> <laughs> an argument, We've not even made it. <laughs> to, be, to be fair as well, like, you know, I, I absolutely love the pair of those players as well for the same reason stated. But, and mine isn't that different either. But, like, I'm, I haven't got, like, a fancy name for it. I'm just going to call it the Keep Fucking Going Award. <laughs> and, and the Keep Fucking Going Award's going to James Milner because yeah. he's 33 years old. Um, he's already won the league and stuff like that. He's had his big his big time, if you like, at Manchester City. He's been playing footy professionally since 16 years old as well. And, like, you know, so, like, none of this is new anymore. And, like, you kind of think, you know, like, is there not a point where you think, ah, I don't know, let's be bored of this or whatever. And yet he's still going, still pushing himself, still the ultimate professional. And we all know the stuff about the sort of the test pre-season and how he came out top and things like that. But also stuff like Warnock told us, and, like, you know, we said it on show, so it's fine. And it's not, like, breaking any secrets or anything. But he said, like, not only does he eat right, drink right and all that kind of stuff, which we already know, but like he does loads of stuff off his own bat to make sure his body's in the right place. So he's getting all kinds of like massages and personal trainers and stuff like that during the summer. Which you know, I'm old enough to remember the times where they all just went on the piss and the summer. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Came back, yeah. you know, came back a stone overweight. Yeah, came back and put a bin bag on him like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> Melwood for a bit and was like, "That'll be sound." And so you know, he, he is like the sort of ultimate professional. But I also think that does him a bit of a disservice in that he's also a great player. He, he does what he's always asked. He saw loads and loads of times during the season, literally clopped in into the bench and go and Millie get on and box it off. And he'd go on and box it off full on my side. So he, he's another one as well who does loads of stuff charity-wise. We know that we've done stuff with him around this foundation and things like that. And I, I just think he's a Sam feather. And as well, you get the sense that you know, he gets on with everyone at the club. He's got the respect of everyone. He's got the respect of the manager, but he's got the respect of all the players. Seeing little things as well, like he was helping out, I think it was Nat Phillips at one point and things like that. 
And I just think, you know, we all look at Klopp, obviously, because he's the figurehead, he's the main man and all that, you know, he's the, the godlike genius or whatever. But you need all those almost like mini-managers when it's it's the squad is as big as it is and it's got all the facets to it. And it feels like Milner's definitely one of them. And like I just think, you know, the way he's able to take the piss out of himself with the little hobble and celebration and all that kind of thing. <laughs> And like I'd love to, I'd love to like have a chat with him and just say you know like what are you thinking now when you're here Liverpool linked with all these players again and you're 33 years old and you know people regularly talk about that are you thinking fuck their man playing next season because I want to win the league or are you thinking ah, I'm winding down I think we know the answer don't we so <laughs> fuck it the the, uh, the fuck it keep on going award goes to James Milner I'm saying into it. Um, I'm with the Liverpool embodiments. Like it's mad, isn't it? When you think about it, everyone's just said I agree with every word. I couldn't disagree with anything anyone's just said. But I'm, I'm for those exact reasons, I go with Jordan Anderson. Yeah, yeah um, another one, definitely. Only because everything that we like, that we value as a club, I think you know, through thick and thin, wind and rain, and all that stuff, all the romantic stuff, you know, about being written off. Side, he's replacing Steven Gerrard, possibly the club's best ever player. He's written off straight away because he's come from Sunderland. You know, people don't like him. He's had grief off everyone, and, he's, and, he's, and he hasn't moaned them. But he hasn't moaned about it. He just got on with it. Just got on with it, and and built. And it's all about determination and never giving up. And you look at that photograph with him and Klopp after he see. I don't know whether it's before or after he's seen his dad in Madrid, and it's, it just it, it just fits with everything you brought him to believe in. And look, everyone thinks their own football club is special, but you talk about characters in a team, and very much the same similar reasons to Milner, I think as well. You know, he's. He's just gotten on with it, and there's there's a steel in him, you know. And it's very, it would have been very easy for him. I mean, you talk about a kid who was nearly sold to Fulham under Brendan Rodgers, you know. Near, and it, and it, I think it was his determination to stay rather than them not coming to a deal, which, you know, is the reason why why he stuck at it. And the lads of Liverpool captain, he's, he's not had it easy ever, and it's only now I think that he's getting the respect he deserves. And and he's shown. I mean, people talk about him as a talk about him as a footballer for a bit. But we've seen in the, in the last couple of months where he, the arrival of Fabinho's freed him up a bit and you see him, what, what ability you know he's got, which only emboldens it even more a little bit that he's, he's been that disciplined, that he's restricted himself when it would have been easy to show off a little bit. And look where he's ended up lifting the lifting the European Cup. So if we're talking about Liverpool and Bosnia, and I know he's not from Liverpool and if Trent's two or three years older, then he, it's obviously him because he's going to play 300, 500 times for Liverpool. Yeah, and he's got more years to I, win I, it, Andy. We're going to do it. Time, we're going to do loads of this brand new award. It's going to live on and on. I this as well because Henderson's celebrations are fucking sick. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so and, there's that, and there's that little skip when he thinks Liverpool are going to yeah, score yeah, as well. Which, which he loses it till his head literally yeah. in that moment. There's um, an opportunity here as well, by the way, that, you know, mentioned them before about sort of Liverpool as a football club not being the only thing that's in Liverpool as a council and stuff, and there's loads of people. There's an opportunity here. He's he's turned down the opportunity to have to freedom of city, city of Sunderland, saying he wants to wait till the end of his career. So get in there, Liverpool, well, and give, well, give him freedom of city no, exactly, and Liverpool but, first. But on, on, on top of that, I'm going to get off my soapbox for Jordan Anderson in a second. But what I will say is, there's sometimes we, there's there's always long debates about what you know Liverpool. If you're from Liverpool, you're not from Liverpool. And I always try and articulate the fact that it's not being from Liverpool; it's being of Liverpool. And we've got plenty of friends, close friends of ours, who we know we want from Liverpool, but they're the scousers they come. Yeah. And I think Jordan Anderson, if you're going to pick anyone who's the embodiment of that at the club at the minute, it, it, it's him. So yeah, Jordan Anderson. Great, another another great uh, rallying call behind someone there, Leandro. He's like a banish Phil Sis. Put Sam there. Yeah. <laughs> he to yeah. He's just stolen my speech. So. Oh. Um, no, I, I would go for Jordan Anderson as well. But I think, you know, the, the wider thing is there's so many stories in this Liverpool team. Uh, Trent, Robbo, both kind of came from 
well, Trent came from such a young age, uh, ball boy in 2013-14, now Champions League winner. Robbo, unemployed to being Champions League winner. Jordan Henderson, almost swapped for Clint, Clint Dempsey to Fulham, Champions Champions League winner. Uh, Divock Origi was going to get sold, Champions League winner. Um, I'm just trying to mention how, that we've won the Champions League. Like Jay with his drinks. But no, I think there's, there's so many different names that you could could mention but I just think you know that that goes to show what a good season it's been as well yeah okay I think we're going to do it I think it's going to be the embodiment of Liverpool award name might change uh, but that's going to be the theme of it we'll do a little uh, poll uh, we'll, we'll put it out on our social and stuff um, next week and get voting and then hopefully I might take the award over to America or something I was just about like, to say we should make this a thing with like, like the golden sample oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll make it thing. like we'll do, a, we'll do a big award not too heavy though if I'm taking it to the States and I'll, and I'll present <laughs> it in drunk, in drunk mix <laughs> John who are you going for sorry who are you going for I don't know. Um, I think I think they would do it all. They were all really good shouts. I think I don't know. I think after saying, I didn't what want would it. the award be as well? Like you know, you know what I still love. Remember when we were in the street and the the, the sign for the city? Was oh, the just fist. <laughs> Like go ahead, because like obviously like the yeah. street's got its own history and it's not yeah. it's it's like shankly a, arms outstretched, a little shankly trophy. Yeah. That'd be nice, yeah. 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 But, but just but in the street there's just a massive fist going mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It appeals to Robert as you can imagine. <laughs> um, if anyone out there can make an award, like get in touch, we'll pay you. Like um, not being a minch bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll pay your cost. Um, no, yeah, we'll do it. Let's do it and see how it goes. Uh, yeah, so we'll, so you, you guys are going to decide. Uh, we'll, we'll, you can vote for anyone you want. I'll put all the players on the squad and on there and all that and you can vote for whatever you want so maybe we'll do some some more of these kind of uh, pictures have we've just come up with the award the embodiment of the pill thing and Gibbo's going to present it in America <laughs> oh no I, I assume we're going <laughs> no. as the inventors of the award I, I just assumed we were going listen co-founders co- listen I want to thank you both for the idea for this award but if you can sign these pieces of paper say you are not to do this I couldn't be used to on the old one. I wasn't fancy paying the additional luggage. I'm just fucking soaking the size of my head, mate. <laughs> go ahead, John. You're not having a go. No, I'm going to wait. I might do a little video next week. Oh, okay. Here's um, the thing, though, genuinely, if in something like that, and it, it, it's a positive of Liverpool, isn't it? There's a stu- there's an argument for loads, loads of yeah. players. Yeah. There's yeah. an argument for loads of players just sitting there thinking, you know, Alisson doesn't want to celebrate winning the Champions League. What's the phone as kids? Yeah. yeah. Once the phone is kids, all the players, you know, Lalana's on the pitch phoning his dad. There's a little clip in that new UEFA video where he's like, Hey dad, it's me. It's like we will probably come up saying Dad. Who do you reckon he thought it was? Oh, After yeah. the Champions League. But there's that thing, you know, that that there's a there's a truly a family feel amongst lots of them and stuff like that, which are all things, values we would all have, which is a I, th- I think it's why there is so much love as well for the players as well, not just because they're great on the pitch, but you're looking at them thinking they're sound, they're a bit like me, and that that's huge for the club. So maybe you might have to give all the players on. They might, you might be fighting at the same camp, mate. Well, I hope they are. I hope it becomes the one they want. After Maguire, but like like Liverpool have got like eight European cups made up since they've won it in Madrid. We just have to do duplicates. Are we pass around? <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, yeah, well, it's going to be Bladder going, lad. It was going to be you, <laughs> lad. I voted for you, but for oh, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kev. <laughs> um, that's been fun, hasn't it? Uh, that's been a good weekend. Thanks a lot to everyone in the room and obviously the callers as well. Uh, up to Reds. Sports Social Podcast Network.